0: Welcome to Forces of Nature, the new podcast from WWF. We're celebrating our 60th anniversary by bringing together trailblazing environmentalists from different generations to discover how we can learn from the past and succeed in the future. I'm Susanna Burkwood. This episode, we're bringing together Lathi Iñati and former Colombian president Juan Manuel Santos. Mr Santos is a world leader with a self-professed passion for the environment. While in office, from 2010 to 2018, he increased the size of protected areas in Colombia and championed the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, all while working to end the country's more than 50-year-long civil war, which saw him awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2016. Nkosi is from Zimbabwe, and he's been a keen advocate for the environment since he was 10 when he started noticing the impacts of climate change on his home near the Victoria Falls. Now 18, he's addressed world leaders at the 25th UN Climate Talks in Madrid. He's also helped develop the first biogas plant where he lives, bringing sustainable energy to the community, and he's a youth climate advocate for global children's charity UNICEF. We managed to connect with Nkozy in his principal's office at his school, so please excuse the not-quite-studio quality of the audio. Former President Santos and Nkosi discuss why young people from all over the world need to be at the table when it comes to decision making around the environment. What Mr. Santos learned and his regrets from his time in office and what advice a world leader has for people who want to save the planet. I really hope you enjoy the episode and I'll see you at the end.
1: Hello Nkosi it's a great pleasure uh, I congratulate you for all the work that you have been doing for what I think is the most important cause that humanity has in front of us.
2: Uh, well, it's a great pleasure to to meet you, sir. This is one of the days that I'm going to
1: record in my diary. I wanted to start this conversation by asking you, and I have been a journalist uh, some part of my life, so uh, I like to ask a lot of questions, how was it that uh, when you were 10 years old, you suddenly became engaged with the environmental cause? What happened? What triggered uh, your motivation to assume that flag?
2: Well, I studied my advocacy at the age of 10. It was the fact that I was feeling heat, There were heat waves in my own environment. When I was going to school, the sun was very hot. When I'm learning, the sun is very hot. How am I supposed to, to learn? How am I supposed to embrace whatever I'm learning? The heat is too much. So those are the kind of challenges which I faced in my own environment, and that made me to rise and speak out for the environment to advocate for change.
1: I was in your country many years ago, back in the 80s. I was in Victoria Falls. It's a beautiful, beautiful country. But at that time, I was not conscious of the importance of preserving the environment. I was a a latecomer and it was a meeting that I had with the chiefs of the indigenous communities in a beautiful place up in the mountains. The day I was inaugurated as president, I went to them and asked them for their blessing because they, I consider them our older brothers. They were in Colombia way, way before anybody else. And so they have certain authority. And when I sat with them, they said, uh, we give you the blessing, but you have to do two things. One, make peace. Make peace because we are a country at war. But second, make peace with nature because we are also at war with nature. Nature has been very, very mistreated. Mother Nature is mad. And uh, she, when she gets mad, she retaliates. And uh, as you, around 10 years ago, had the worst drought in your country, when I got it decorated, we had the worst flooding, the Niña phenomenon. And that was predicted by the indigenous communities. And that flooding forced me to bring the most uh, important people in terms of the how to take care of flooding, but also how to understand what was happening. And I remember that Vice President Gore came to me and uh, gave me a, a marvelous lesson. It was like in one day, four years of university about uh, climate change, about what was happening. And from then on, I got engaged and uh, more and more, And the more I study, the more... I understand how important it is to do the work that you are doing and how important it is for humanity to take uh, consciousness of what we have to do in order to avoid a planetary disaster.
2: Uh, You're not at the point uh, where you said you had to consult the indigenous people. I think that's a concept which should be adopted by the world leaders. World leaders need to consult those in those remote areas because those are the people who are feeling climate change. Um, as a person uh, who has a significant power, our political power, what advice would you give to activists or, or citizens wanting to influence government policy?
1: As you know, uh, thoughts become words, words become action. But to take action, you need the political will. And how is this uh, forced into the leaders uh, to have the political will to take bold decisions? That's where people like you come into the the scenario. Leaders and politicians and uh, the people who take uh, decisions have to see and have to be pressed by public opinion. You can go against public opinion for a certain amount of time. Many times you have to go against public opinion to do the correct thing. But in the long run, it is the will of the people who in a way forces the leader to take decisions. So what I say to the activist is uh, not only maintain your work, but multiply it, the more people are demanding bold action to preserve the environment, to preserve our biodiversity, to take uh, decisions that sometimes could be unpopular with certain sectors of of the communities or of of society, but that in the long run are the correct decisions. Like, for example, the transfer from fossil fuels to clean energy. In countries like mine that depend so much on coal, on oil, on fossil energy, those type of decisions meet resistance. But you have to persevere and do the correct thing. So the short term impopularity, sometimes you have to address it. But when you know that you're doing the correct thing, you have to preserve. And that needs the enthusiasm and the support of the people. So the activists are crucial in this crusade. And my message to them is uh, multiply your work and persevere.
2: Thank you very much, Sim. I think that's a very much uh, important lesson that I'm going to take back.
1: Zimbabwe and Colombia have many things in common and uh, many challenges in common. You have a lot of poverty, we have a lot of poverty. How do you think uh, that young people and activists in general can try to promote uh, the thesis that poverty and the preservation of the environment should go hand in hand, fighting poverty and fighting climate change, that they complement each other, that they need each other, And that's why the Sustainable Development Goals are an appropriate uh, guide to development plans all around the world. Uh, Do you see people understanding that uh, in your country and in Africa in general and uh, engaging in this crusade to attack poverty and attack climate change at the same time?
2: Well, uh, I must say that we are all contributing to the changing climate no matter the differences or of the quantities we contribute, but we are all contributing to the changing climate. However, there are some who face the hard times because someone is polluting a lot. Some of these communities depend on the environment for survival. As we're saying that poverty also goes hand in hand with this issue. I must say that the key issue in, in making our environment more sustainable is through providing funding. World leaders should find a convergence of funding or should converge and plan locating those areas which are most affected. Now, the other thing is educating those people, developing books which are going to be read by those people in their own languages. Uh, I can appreciate the fact that not everyone is literate, but we can have workshops where we can speak and understand each other. Those people in those rainforests must be on the table, must be in
1: those forums, must be on those workshops. I will share with you uh, an experience that has been a marvelous experience in that respect. With uh, the war ending, the former guerrillas, many of them, because they lived in the jungle, because they lived in the, in the mountains, were very appreciative of Mother Nature and preserving Mother Nature. And so, many of them have become preservers of the environment. And uh, They are doing, for example, uh, eco-tourism to take people to beautiful places that had been sort of forbidden because of the war but preserving the environment. And at the same time, we are bringing people, and I have a foundation that I created with the Nobel Prize uh, money, and we bring leaders from very remote areas. We bring them to the best university in the capital city and give them a crash course in leadership. Take them back to their communities, but we teach them two things. One, how to resolve problems without violence because they have been living all their lives in very violent environments, but also the importance of preserving uh, the environment, of connecting with nature and the feedback from them especially on the second aspect on the preserving the environment has been been extraordinary and that is how you also create a a momentum in for the whole of the society for the whole of the population to be engaged in this challenge that we have and uh, I am hopeful That this pandemic that we're going through is teaching us something that will be used in this challenge to stop global warming and to stop climate change. Because uh, in this uh, pandemic, uh, we are learning that no country can do anything by itself. That we, we, as people, live in one house, which is our planet Earth. And we as people are one race, it's the human race. The uh, virus doesn't make any distinctions, doesn't know any frontiers, nor does climate change. So we need to work together, cooperate, create synergies. And uh, you in Zimbabwe, me in Colombia, and soldiers of the environment all around the world, we must work together. And I will ask you one question. How do you think we can make people and leaders more conscious of the urgency to act? Because many times these type of phenomena, oh no, well, time will take care of it. Time will not take care of it. On the contrary, if we don't act now, we will go get to the point of no return. There's a, a clock ticking, for example, in uh, South Korea that says how many minutes are left for the point of no return. And it's less than seven years. And that's very short. How can we teach the people and uh, make them conscious of the urgency of acting? What would be your advice?
2: Well, I must say that as young people currently considering the fact that We've got thousands of young people on the streets talking about climate change, advocating for climate policies. The only way that we can make our planet a sustainable paradise is by listening to the young people and acting. Because it's not about listening only, but it's about taking action into the ground. I remember addressing some world leaders at the African Regional Forum on Sustainable Development What I was expecting from the meeting was that soon afterwards, after addressing the world leaders, they were going to be on the doors, trying to go to their offices and trying to change. But now I understand that change is gradual. However, I must, I must, I must advise the fact that listen to those young people after listening to them, go and implement those actions. The only time we have is now we must utilize it. If you got another time in office, what would you do different in the environment? Anything you are going to upgrade? Any new innovations that you are going to uh, introduce if you had another chance in power?
1: Every president, every prime minister when uh, you look back, you feel a bit frustrated because uh, you see you you understand that you could have done a lot more. That's a a normal uh, sense, a normal frustration that every president and every prime minister has. Looking back, I am very proud. For example, uh, in COSI, I don't know if, if you are aware that it was Colombia, my government, who was the one who proposed to the world the Sustainable Development Goals in back in 2011. I was in my office, and two young ladies that worked in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs said, "Uh, President Santos, uh, we have an idea for you to propose to the world that will be very important. The Millennium Goals will end in 2015. Why don't we propose to the world some new goals which would have two additional ingredients besides the social and economic aspects. One is that the developed countries should also take responsibility for the future of the world, not only the developing countries, but second and most important, the environmental component. We need to introduce the environmental component into the new goals. And I w- thought it was a great idea. I told him to uh, write a memo of three pages that same day they had prepared it and then I went to Brazil 2012 and made the proposal the official proposal we started some very fascinating diplomatic negotiations and in the year 2015 the United Nations adopted by unanimity in the General Assembly the SDGs and uh, that for me was one of the most, uh, one of the happiest days. That and when I signed the peace with uh, the guerrillas after 50 years of war. And in the process of strengthening our environmental policies, we did some very bold uh, actions. We took decisions like I increased uh, the protected areas. And today, 20% of Colombia. Is protected. I protected some special ecosystems that we only have in South America, and uh, Colombia has 50 percent of these ecosystems that are 3,200 meters above sea level. That are factories of water. 75 percent of our rivers come from these eco uh, systems, very high in the mountains. So I protected them because they were being destroyed by agriculture and by mining. And we we gave the indigenous communities a lot more autonomy to protect the tropical forests. They are the best protectors because they are the ones who appreciate the most of how important it is to preserve nature. But I could have done a lot more. I could have protected, instead of uh, 20%, I could have protected 40%. Uh, so the frustration is is the normal frustration that any president or any uh, leader has after being in office and looking back. But we we need to continue. And I, right now I'm retired. I'm I'm not a politician. I'm I'm dedicated uh, to work for the cause that you are working for. So we are partners in this cause, in this fight.
2: How do you explain some of the inconsistencies in your approach to the environment during your time in office? You brought in positive things, but then you also issued mining licenses and uh,
1: deforestation continued. That's a good question because I myself suffered a, like a metamorphosis, like a change. As I said uh, uh, before, I was not very conscious uh, of the importance of the environment. It it was the hard facts that taught me to see the environment with other eyes, and I became uh, an environmentalist. I I say with with uh, great pride that I became green. But in the meantime, I was uh, an economist uh, with uh, the traditional uh, theories of growth and. Uh, My country is very rich in mining, and that was the most important source of income and taxation and fiscal revenues. And uh, I didn't see it as incompatible with the preservation of the environment. And I tried as much as possible to give licenses for mining that uh, was responsible with the environment. I, I did... Uh, tremendous changes in uh, the procedures to accept mining in certain areas, and I prohibited mining in many areas. And deforestation, for example, which is one of the things that I regret that I did not do more. Uh, we have a big problem also of drug trafficking, and the, the drug traffickers uh, are the, one of the worst enemies of of the environment because. They use the forest to burn the forest and plant coca plants or the marijuana plants. And uh, in the fight against drug trafficking, well, this is a phenomenon. When I look back, I I wished I could have done more. So, yes, you always have these type of contradictions. uh, But I was more and more conscious of putting the environment as a priority, the preservation of the environment and slowly changing the regulations and changing the laws and uh, changing uh, the way we see our own development. We, We need to introduce the environment as one of the variables that are important in measuring the success of a country. No more only how much have you grown, the GMP. Now we should introduce in measuring the success of a country, how much are you preserving the environment? This would be a, a change in, in the way the whole development theory is uh, looked at, and I think it would be a very positive change. You, you tell me, um, how would you like today's leaders to engage with the young people, to empower the young people in order to work together uh, how what advice would you give the leaders of today in order to be much more uh, proactive and to be m- much more engaged with uh, the young people in order to be more effective what would what would be your suggestion
2: i myself i take young people as the agents of change world leaders should actually uh, device plans of reaching out to their own countries, into their own regions, into their own remotest areas, and get those people on the ground. We need people from, from the deep forest of Colombia. we need people from the deep forest of my country on the decision table. My advice is include the young people. By so doing, you're going to get fresh ideas, sustainable ideas for a sustainable future. We are the younger generation, we are here, we are smart, we have the solutions. Thank you very much. I appreciate this moment with you. Uh, this has been a pleasure and I'm going to share this with my peers. And thank you very much.
1: And, and again, I finished with what I started. Uh, congratulations, because what you are doing and I've been following your career, your life, uh, your interventions. Uh, this is what uh, the, the people in the world needs, what we all need. So keep your enthusiasm, persevere. And uh, I hope that we will meet again because uh, this is uh, going to be a a long struggle, but a fascinating struggle. All the best.
0: Thanks so much to Nkosi Iñazi and former President of Colombia Juan Manuel Santos for giving us their time and for such candid reflections on the past and advice for the future. Super interesting to learn that Mr Santos wasn't actually always an avid environmentalist, but that he became that way due to the experiences and conversations that he had during his time in office. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you subscribe and don't forget to drop us a review or rating on your podcast app. For more conservation conversations, check out panda.org forward slash forces of nature and keep in touch with WWF on Twitter for more info on future podcasts. This was a Fresh Air production for WWF International. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time.